Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast by Skip Meetings, the podcast for curious event professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Miguel Neves and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Skip Meetings. In this episode, titled The True Value of Smaller Events, I have the pleasure of speaking with Eric Holman, the CEO of Splash. Our conversation revolves around event marketing and the importance of small-scale meetings for businesses. We talk about things like how the concept of events can apply to so many different types of gatherings, the importance of impressing guests with great design, the challenge of creating a software as a service tool for the event industry, why small events outperform large events, and why data and ROI are even more important going forward. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the podcast. You can find all the previous episodes on our website or just subscribe via your favorite podcast service. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast by Skip Meetings. My name is Miguel Nevsch, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Skip Meetings. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Eric Holman, the CEO of Splash. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Miguel. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, so nice that you are able to join us. Um, we've only recently met, like we very, very recently. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I'm as curious as anybody if you could do a, just a quick introduction about you, uh, you know, how you encountered the uh, the event industry, and uh, yeah, take us through a little bit of of your journey so far, so we could get some context into this conversation. Yeah, you bet. I'll try to cram 25 years into 25 seconds. <laughs> I I was very fortunate. I was working in the catalog industry when the internet became publicly available and transferred the skills really well from print to digital. And since that time, spent my entire career in marketing technology that was really about brands engaging their customers and prospective customers. And, um, you know, I followed uh, from the database days through CMS, through email marketing, through a lot of mobile marketing uh, technology and then ended up in event marketing with Splash about two and a half years ago, about five minutes before the pandemic started, <laughs> and really wondering if I made a tragic mistake all these years staying on track and suddenly uh, working for an event technology company as the pandemic shut down events. Um, I started as chief revenue officer at Splash and uh, about a year ago in June 2021 took over as CEO. And I've enjoyed it very much, built a lot of new muscles and learned a lot about events that I didn't know uh, was was behind the scenes. Excellent. So you took over from the founder, I believe. Yes, and from Ben, uh, who's still very actively involved in the business. Wonderful guy. Okay. And how does that relationship work? Do you have a kind of clear line of kind of who manages what and how it all works? Yeah, we do. Uh, you know, Ben is gifted when it comes to events and event experiences. So we have him on as our head of event strategy. 
And anybody who wants to talk about, you know, what's, what's the next great thing to do at an event to engage your, your audience better or to get more of the right people, he's, he has more wisdom and knowledge and experience in that than anyone I've ever met. And he also has a ridiculous amount of charisma. So he's a lot of fun to spend time with and, and the culture of the company absolutely loves him. So we're really fortunate to still have him very involved in the business. That sounds, that sounds great. And so I wonder, do you have a kind of recollection of, of when you first really came into contact with the industry? It sounds like you sort of moved from business-wise, you came from more of a tech background and kind of went into events. But was there a specific moment when you kind of realized that there was this thing called event industry and, and people that were kind of, you know, cared about designing events and putting events together? Was that sort of already while you were working for Splash or did you have kind of event experiences before that kind of led you into that? Yeah, you know, it's most of my career has been in um, the marketing or sales leadership side of companies. My my very first encounter with events uh, where I was responsible for some events was actually when I was at Sears back in the 90s. And we were building the first website uh, for the company and launching gift cards and other really interesting digital things. And to promote that, we started doing events. Sears already did like NASCAR events and grand opening events and um, so I ended up running a small events team for a while to promote our our new capabilities and really learned how incredibly difficult every event was. And every event was so bespoke and took so much money, had so much risk. And, you know, we, we all do the same things. We try to create checklists to make sure that we don't make a mistake or skip a step. And it's like a pre-flight list. And I think everybody has those lists today. And over the years, and especially in on the sales leadership side, I found events to be so powerful for kind of mid-funnel and customer relationship development. Smaller events were better than the bigger events for the most part, and just got very good at um, doing repeatable events. And but it's just very difficult, you know, building the website and connecting to the sales force and all that stuff. And I actually came across Splash as a customer about seven years ago, and have been a customer twice before I joined the company. And just fell in love with the magic of what can you make repeatable and automated in an event so that you're not spending all the time doing repeatable stuff. Uh, you can spend your time actually creating great experiences and driving ROI. And, and that, that's how I fell in love with Splash as a user before it became, uh, before it became CEO. <laughs> that's, that's fascinating. And so yeah. just a bit of a fun question, but it might lead somewhere interesting. Um, how, when you explain to your friends and family that are maybe don't have any knowledge of the event industry and the business events side of the world. How do you explain what you do or maybe sort of what Splash does? Yeah. You know, well, you know, probably know this better than I do, but the, one of the worst words in the English language is event because it can mean anything from a birthday and bar mitzvah to a dream force in New Mexico. Right? It's, it has such um, so much meaning and width that almost doesn't mean anything. And so when you tell somebody that you do event marketing, that you know, everybody has a preconception of what that is. And the funny thing is what you get compared to and um, people talk about, oh, it's like, so like weddings, I'm like, well, we don't, you know, we're more on the business side. Oh, so like a dream force. Well, you know, we don't quite do the big events like that, the bespoke ones. So I, I spent a little bit more time talking about how would you, if you were creating an event for your business, the business you work for, everybody works for a company at some point. Um, what are the things that you would make most important in that? And what are the things that you would have to do manually? And uh, it always ends up with a great discussion around, yeah, I'd really want my website to look great. 
I really wouldn't have to want to worry about the data, the registration. I just want that to be taken care of. I wouldn't have to worry about you know, sending emails as reminders and sending calendar appointments. And that's that's the stuff that, that we do. And people generally get it. And they usually end up going back to, oh, like at a wedding. <laughs> so you just can't escape this terrible word events. And I, I wish we could come up with seven or eight other words to describe events, but that's what we got. <laughs> Sure. That's a great point. And I think if you add sort of computing terms and technology, there's also wow. events in there that, you know, that, you know, if you're using Google to search for stuff, sometimes that pops up and then gets right. even more complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my knowledge of Splash is somewhat limited. I remember coming across uh, Splash uh, back in the day, Splash Vats, I think, you know, still the website. Mm. I think it had it, it it is. Was, yeah, more, more involved with the name before. Um, what always kind of impressed me about splash was the idea of it being you know this event landing page that was very it looked good right there's a lot of concern with how it looks and how it feels and i think in terms of ux of the web experience it is i don't like to give commercials or endorsements or anything i'm i haven't used when i've used you know a few free events on splash many years ago but it always felt a little bit different uh and and you know very well kind of customizable but also designed you know like a lot of work goes into the design I, I can imagine and is that kind of intentional I mean am I completely off or, or you know tell me if I'm completely off but is that a very intentional choice to be kind of different and and really focused on the design and that element of when you sort of land there you feel a little bit I guess a little bit special not like you're just entering a sort of you know form or a survey or something like that to register for an event that's that's such a beautiful way to describe it. Yeah, that's that is very intentional. We we cherish design above everything. Um, and yeah, when you think about it, like if if in the real estate business they talk about the curb appeal of a house is what sells the house. So you got to get somebody to like the outside of the house before they want to see the inside of the house. And it's the same with events. You know, the no matter how well you promote the event and advertise it, at some point somebody clicks on a website. And if that website looks like a Zoom landing page, like 5,000 other events, then you've lost the curb appeal. You've lost the interest to take the next step. If you can make it look like a really appealing event, that's going to help a lot. If you can actually go the next step and make it uh, brand compliant, and this is where a lot of our large enterprise customers lean in, is there, and we have customers who are doing literally thousands of events a month, and they've decentralized that because Splash has made it really easy to stay brand compliant and to host those events. So they can have 800 users on Splash who are all creating events that are brand compliant. But the, the, there's nuance with each, each event. And so you wanna be able to customize that, that look and feel. There's things like invitations and emails and cards and social sharing that you want those to all look and feel the same and without having to go in and design the email template every single time. And so we've made it really easy to out of the box have something that's beautiful and very easy to use you can customize it with colors. You can just grab a template off the shelf and change colors. Um, and then if you really like it, you can just hit clone and do it for the next event. And that's that's the magic of software in the event industry, I think, is not everything can be cloned like that. Some of the experiences that you have in an event really have to be managed by a human. They have to be bespoke and managed very carefully. And that's part of what makes an event magic. But there's all these other components that you can have magic and still have repeatability. And that's, that's really focus on, but I, I also want to make sure I don't uh, underplay the other, one of the other big, uh, important values that we have around data, because we are at, 
at, a, at the core, a registration capability. And that gets into data. And between GDPR and CCPA and all the other requirements, um, and you know, we ask for dietary information at events that so starts to get into a very personal information. And so the, the ability to manage and govern that data is just as important as the design piece, if not more so. But I'll, I think you nailed it that most of the time our customers come to us because they like the simplicity of the design to make it look really good. It sounds like an interesting balance because from what I remember, there was sort of templates built in that just, you know, look good out of the box. And I think for the, you know, average user or sort of the simple user, I think they are really easy to use and implement. And, and you know, especially if they follow through in the invitations and the thank you pages yeah. and all those kind of things, it just sort of is easy to make something look good, which isn't as easy with a lot of other platforms. But from what you're saying, then you can also then customize those or bring in your own designer and do whatever you want and then kind of lock them down and go right. kind of enterprise level. And is that sort of your your client base? Would you say it's more focused on this kind of enterprise level? Is that the majority? Yeah, it's, I, well, by count, about half of our customers are large enterprises, more than a thousand employees and half are less. Um, but many of those are kind of mid-market and medium-sized companies. And, and we have a freemium product. So we have we have thousands of users who use a free tool. And and some of those, I mean, frankly, but some of them are birthday parties. It's funny to see what comes through on the freemium product. Uh, but for the most part, we've really built the business and we market to large enterprises and we market the design capabilities and the data governance piece. Um, and all the you, know, you start to get into all kinds of complexity around roles and team management. You know, what can this role change with the data? What can they see with the data? What can this role change with the fonts or the logos? And so we we do a, a very intentional job of building enterprise software, but it's usable for everybody. It's very easy. It's very, very easy. I mean, the two companies I was at when I uh, used Splash previously, one at the time was only a $5 million B2B company. And so we were able to, with a administrative assistant running our events, we could easily pull it off with Splash. Good stuff. Um, would you say that Splash is, you know, an, a SaaS company, a software as a service company? And, and if so, is that intentional? Yes, Splash is a SaaS company for sure. We have a small amount of services that's mostly related to onboarding or any kind of custom design work that somebody might want to have for a template. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting in the event industry to try to create a SaaS business. <laughs> Uh, I think I think it might be one of the most difficult businesses in marketing tech to create a SaaS company for because the at the essence of SaaS is um, it's an annual license you know it's it's recurring revenue so it's a, a spend and the value of software is that it should make things easier you should be able to automate stuff you should be able to um, do analytics and then you compare that to the events industry which tends to have a lot of people think about their one or two big events a year and do you need annual software licenses for one or two big events a year? Do you need to have software every single day of the year for those big events? And so we've, we've done a really intentional job of, we want, we are a great software company. We tend to always be a great software company first and foremost. We've decided to avoid the big conferences and trade shows. Those are not our customers. And we go to uh, those more smaller and medium-sized intimate events that might be roadshows, they might be workshops, they might be recruiting uh, or internal meetings um, where you have hundreds of attendees, not tens of thousands of attendees. You know, that said, some of our customers do events with tens of thousands of 
of folks attending live or virtual. Um, but we've really focused our business on the large enterprises that are doing um, a consistent number of uh, medium size and small events. And we see great ROI, great attendance. It's one of the things that you and I were sharing recently on, on LinkedIn is comparing the, the attendance rates of the large events to the attendance rates of the small events. And we're, uh, where the large events are seeing a big decline recently in attendance rates, the small events are almost where they were pre-pandemic, which is good to see. Great to see. Just want to kind of complete the thought on, on the SaaS side of things before we jump into that, because I do want to kind of break that down a little bit more. Um, sure. Is that choice to kind of stick with the kind of the smaller size? You know, I, I don't mean to say that they're small necessarily, but the smaller size events. Um, because of the limitations of SaaS in the way that, you know, events mm -hmm. tend to require a lot of support. And if you're trying to really build a SaaS model and you want to offer the level of support that a lot of events companies and a lot of large events need, it's not very practical, right? Because you get to a point where actually you yeah. can't just automate everything. People are going to need a lot of support, especially day of support. Is that something you offer or is that something you sort of intentionally don't offer and say, look, hey, we we have really stable software, but you know, you're kind of on your own or there's a sort of standard level of support? We do have we do have some uh, services where we will help with on-site uh, when required. Um, we had a team at the Cannes Film Festival a couple weeks ago where we, we have dozens of customers who are using splash and we're just making sure that all the systems are set up for check-in and day of event was was going to go smoothly you know the the truth is if you look at the roi that comes from events small events outperform big events by by wide margins the challenge is small events it's hard to think it's hard to get the construction in your mind of how do i do enough small events to have the impact of a big event it just sounds like an endless, tedious amount of work. And what we've done is intentionally focused on making it easy to do as many small events as you can. So there was there was a point in time when, uh, during the pandemic, when Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, said, we're not doing Dreamforce this year. We're going to do a million Dreamforces this year. And, and Splash was a big part of that tool set. And it was important because you can't do a million events all bespoke, but you can do a million events that have the design and data governance already in place. And you can distribute that and decentralize that. And I think the future of events is gonna be around ROI. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, marketers learned a lot about how to, how to measure ROI from virtual events. And those skills and muscles are going back into the in-person events that are re-emerging. Um, and they're also gonna be decentralized. And you know, we're small teams. It could be a sales team. It could be a local marketing team. It could be a recruiting team can execute an event without having to, uh, you know, move heaven and earth to do a big event. They can do lots and lots of small events. Yeah, so big believer in small events, I can see. I absolutely have the passion for it. <laughs> in terms of your, you know, the pandemic and, and, and how you changed or didn't change Splash, uh, could you just take us through that a little bit? I mean, obviously virtual events kind of blew up early on in the pandemic. What changes did you make and, and, and kind of how did you see that from the Splash perspective? Yeah, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I joined just minutes before, I, I joke minutes, it was actually five weeks before New York City shut down during the pandemic. And at that time, Splash had single digit percent of customers who used Splash for virtual events. And so it's like 5%, I think. And uh, all of that was was really run independent of Splash. They were customers who just built their own integrations uh, into some uh, virtual tools. Then overnight, we had to change priorities. And 
you know, we did the right thing. We went and talked to customers to see what is it they needed. And most of our customers are big enterprises. And they said, we have an event schedule. We have to keep the event schedule. We just can't do it in person anymore. That was that was objective number one, uh, help us keep the event schedule. Then objective number two is we don't have a virtual um, system that's all in one. And we don't have time to go out and RFP one, you know, the procurement's going to require it. So can you just integrate with the tech we have? Can you integrate with Zoom webinar and on 24 and Vimeo? And that's what we did. So we focused on building an integration that embedded those tools inside of Splash so that our enterprise customers didn't have to go out and shop for a, a, a solution. They could just use what they had. So they got the best of both worlds. They were able to use Splash for uh, the, the the marketing capabilities, the design, the registration, and then they're able to use their on twenty four or whatever system they're using to actually do the the webinar, and that worked really really well for most of the pandemic. And we kept listening and seeing what else is going on. There's so much experimentation happening for the first six months of the pandemic. Just it was a wild west of experimentation, crazy ideas that people were trying that just have kind of disappeared. <laughs> you know. The, the second world kind of things that you know, for a while seemed like that was going to be everything. And then VR for a little while. And um, and it was interesting to see what finally landed. And that's when we asked our customers again, what's working for you that you think is going to survive past the pandemic that you want in your virtual toolbox? And that's when we launched our own uh, tool called Splash Studio, where you can have all the benefits of Splash, but you also have a virtual capability with all the networking and the backstage and the green room and, and all those production capabilities in one spot. So it was quite the journey. Uh, you know, we, when talking to our customers through that pandemic, we, we never really heard people say that virtual was going to be here forever at that new scale. What they said is at some point it's going to return back to something like it used to be. As the pandemic went on, people started, our customers started to say, well, virtual is actually working really well to drive high volumes, very top of funnel, high volume play, but our in-person events are mid funnel and they're closing place or customer relationship building. And so it's going to be post pandemic, a mix of both of these capabilities. And that's what we think of as hybrid now is more around the, the mix of these programs. Um, so that, you know, that's, it was quite the journey and I'm glad we didn't over rotate on the virtual capabilities because with the return to in-person that we're seeing now, um, we're re really ready for it. And we've got the virtual capabilities to help um, as needed. Would you, in terms of kind of where you're looking at it right now, um, are you still investing in developing the virtual tool? And if you are, could you give us a you know some sort of indication of how much investment or how much of your kind of resources is, is focusing on creating better virtual events as opposed to you know creating new systems for, for kind of registration and things that are more focused on the in-person side or, or both? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I would say at, at the end of last year, at the end of 2021 and the first quarter of this year, probably 50 to 60% of our R&D resources were on virtual. In Q3 this year, it's around 15%. Um, we've got the, the tools that our customers need, and there's a few things that we're enhancing, um, but it seems to have kind of reached a steady, steady state. And the rest of those resources are going to some of the in-person capabilities and some other things that we're focusing on really. I think there's still, still so much room for invention and innovation 
uh, in this space. And so we're spending time inventing new things that haven't been seen yet. Anything you can preview or any kind of direction that you can let us know where, where, you, where you're thinking? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it shouldn't be, it's not going to be like, you know, we're not landing on the moon. <laughs> we're not pulling a, a Musk move here, <laughs> no rockets involved, but you know, I, I've spent uh, my whole career in marketing technology and there's a path that marketing technology always takes. And, you know, we've really identified that Splash is the marketing side of event marketing, like event tech. We're not going to be, you know, we're not doing hospitality stuff. We're not doing checklists. We're the marketing side of event tech. And if you follow all marketing tech, at some point you get to solving good use cases, scaling those use cases and get, getting very good at them, which is where Splash is now. And then you start to really lean in on data and analytics and do things like predictive analytics. You know, as an example, with Splash, um, you should be able to, in the future, you'll be able to start your event and within uh, a few hours be able to predict what the registration and attendance rate will be based on past performance and based on cohorts of similar customers. Um, and, and also, so that's predictive analytics, but also testing analytics. And when you, when you launch a, a Splash uh, registration page, instead of launching one page, maybe you launch five. And within a day, we automatically pick the highest performing uh, version so that you get the best registration, the best attendees, uh, or the right setting like a AB testing yeah. for, for registration pages and event marketing, which sounds pretty interesting. It is. Yeah. And it's going to not just make things easier, but much, much smarter and higher performing. You know, our, our mission is so much about making it easy, uh, to, to host events. And that's, you know, we want it to be click button and the, the tool does all the hard work for you. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So let's talk a little bit about data. You know, we had a you know few conversations or a few comments on LinkedIn that I thought was really interesting exchange. You know, we put out an article yeah. talking about a few different articles actually. One was about the uh, you know the, the current state of, of virtual events, particularly virtual event tech and event tech in general. And then we also talked about the uh, kind of larger international events being being sort of stuck at the sixty five percent of twenty nineteen capacity. Uh, that's raised a lot of eyebrows, a lot of comments still coming out on LinkedIn around that. So, so we're happy with that. But I know you have a sort of different perspective and you also have a, a different data set that, that's your client data set, but it's very much kind of focused on that audience that we talked about earlier. So can you t take us through a little bit of that data? You know, obviously this is audio, so uh, so you might have to narrate a little bit of, you know, kind of what, what you're seeing and, and what do you think that really means for the industry? Yeah, as, as far as the... Um... It's it's really interesting to be able to see this kind of data, and and when when you when you posted that article, um, it just had me scratching my head like this. It's not what we're seeing in the data, but we're you know we do the small events, and so I I ring up a couple of our smart, really smart folks. Um, give credit to Zach Napolitano live here and now because he he really ran this for me, and it was really impressive. Of uh, what is what's going on with our platform when we look at the thousands of events that we're seeing, which are all. You know the in-person events, which are all kind of small, medium size. Generally, 
in the 75 to 150 attendee range. And what are we seeing from registration? What are we seeing from attendance? And how does that compare with over the years and the last several years? And it's it's basically back to where it was at the pre-pandemic level. So we're it's only off by I think three average uh, headcount per event. So th three people fewer than it was during the pandemic, which is probably a rounding error. And and I think that's that says a couple things to to me. One is the small events still have a ton of value, right? There there uh, there more people want to go, and and they're relevant. Um, they're returning to relevancy. I think you know I it's I, I may get uh, I may get called out on this, but I think there's been kind of a trouble trouble with with trade shows and big events for a long time, and the fact that we're able to live without them for a couple of years uh, and do just fine. Um, kind of, I don't think it's the death knell of large events, but I think it's going to require events, big events, to think very differently about how they execute things and. Uh, and what value they're going to deliver to the attendee. And fundamentally, people don't go somewhere where they don't think they have value. And you only have zero-sum game. You only have so much time in life. And you know, you're going to choose between, am I going to attend this event where maybe I'll have value or am I going to do something else? And that something else now, there's so many alternatives. It could be uh, to, to watch event, an event from your laptop at home or from Hawaii. <laughs> you can... You know, you can go anywhere to attend an event now. Why do you have to go to uh, Orlando? <laughs> and so there's some interesting alternatives that are really going to compete for the value equation. And uh, and so we're excited to see that small events are still getting traction. I, I think that um, there's other factors in there as well. With There's still concerns about pandemic and large events definitely still weigh on there. And, and I think as those eventually ease, although I don't see that happening in the immediate term, as those concerns start to ease, Maybe we'll see larger events attendance improve, but I really hope that this is a, a red flag to the the trade show industry that it's time to think things through very differently about what kind of value and experiences they're delivering. Yeah, fascinating. I think a lot of the event industry will will be happy to hear that to some extent. And you know, we like to talk about the big events, but ultimately we know that it's the small events that are the bulk of the industry. So I think that's uh, yeah, that's that's really important. You talk about red flags, and I think it's an interesting perspective. You know, we've already talked a little bit about the the qualities of of Splash and and you know the marketing side of things. Are there any things that you would recommend or that you see in the future for the larger events, the trade shows, those kind of things that you think they could improve on? That will kind of you know take let's say taking COVID away for a moment and not kind of talking about you know how COVID necessarily impacts larger events more if it does. Any advice you would give them or any kind of topics that you think would be really important to address that they may not be addressing yet? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things. I, I think you would I would start by recommending they just blow up the trade show. The the walking the halls is one of the least productive uses of time for an attendee or a sponsor. <laughs> now, what value I've been to millions of trade shows and spent so much money in my companies over the years on trade shows. And really the value you get is those meetings that get set up in advance and an occasional random, um, really good uh, prospective customer who walks by and shakes the hand of a sales rep. Um, so if, if the value is really around those meetings are set up in advance, usually with customers or kind of mid-stage prospects, uh, then how do you how do you rethink the trade show to be more about creating those intimate experiences a little more naturally 
And if there's a little value around um, the random prospects who show up, how can you improve discovery and alignment of the the attendees' needs with the, the, the seller's needs before the event or during the event, instead of just waiting for the random things to happen? And uh, you know, trade shows, you know, back in the day, thirty years ago, they were really important. They were buyers' markets, and that's where you did discovery. But you know, the the internet changed that decades ago. It's just it's a funny thing that we still think about trade shows as a discovery route, and it's just really not. It's a very unproductive discovery route. <laughs> so that's maybe really start there. Yeah, blow okay. it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think when you first said that, I was like, "Uh oh, I think this is this is going to be a little controversial." But I, I, you know, I think you you make an interesting point, you know, and, and kind of paraphrasing you a little bit. I, I don't think you're saying trade shows don't work. What you're saying is maybe booths and this idea of you know this huge this huge horde of of first timers and people that don't know anything about your business are going to walk up and want to do business with you is a bit of a myth, and actually. Yeah pre-scheduled appointments and maybe not making the trade show as flamboyant. I think there's probably exceptions if you're looking at the, the B2C world where yeah. like a CES where people come in from all sorts of places, it's a bit different, but if we're talking about B2B trade shows. I think you may have a point. I don't know how much a, a flashy booth or uh, you know excellent champagne is going to really make you find that great customer. You're going to find the people that have a taste for champagne, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> you're attracting the people you mean to attract by accidentally attracting the people you mean to attract. <laughs> so what about, um, you know, does Splash have any plans to jump into that? Or is that just, you know, definitely a conscious, like, no, let's not, let's not touch that market. That's not really yeah. the thing that we want to tackle. We, we don't, the way the market's currently designed, we don't see that we can create any additional value there. And we see that, the, the best value that Splash can create is helping to make the smaller events very, very easy to, to drive ROI from. And we're great at it. And so that's, you know, our, our we're absolutely committed to the smaller events. They're just, they're just so much better and they're so difficult to execute unless you have a tool that does that, this kind of work for you. You know, that's, I, I like to think of it, you know, when I watch my teams in the past who are using Splash as, um, they didn't have to worry about creating the website, connecting to Salesforce, connecting to Marketo, sending reminder emails, like all that stuff was taken care of. All they had to worry about was we need a small, we need small venue. Uh, we need to make sure that it's, uh, has the right uh, menu options. We need to make sure we have a speaker or two who are relevant. And then we focus our time on getting the right people to attend. And that's, that's what event people should be doing is figuring out how to get the right of people to shake hands with our right people and just make that over and over and over. It sounds like, you know, you've picked your lane, you know, you know what you're strong at and which type <laughs> of events are, are good at and, uh, and you right. have your, your advice. And yeah, and I, I tend to agree. Uh, I think when events planners and managers um, have a lot on their plates in terms of the marketing and in terms of the technology, it's not the best recipe, right? Because it's a whole industry in itself. It's a whole, it's a whole thing in itself. But yeah. following on from that, I mean, one thing that we're hearing a little bit from event tech, um, you know, other other event tech companies is this challenge of finding the planners, of finding mm -hmm. the target market, of finding the new customers. Um, are you finding that? And, you know, do you have your ideas of, of why that is or, or why is it more challenging now potentially to find new customers and people that are actually organizing the events? It's interesting. Um, 
Well, I've heard, we've heard a lot about that as well. And when we look at our customer base, um, the majority of the people that we're selling to today um, were not at that company pre-pandemic. So they've never actually thrown a live event for the company they're working for. And so they're not just starting from ground zero about how to throw an event for that for their current company. They're having to go back and see what worked, what was documented, what systems did we used to use, like who was involved. And so I, I think there's a lot of internal focus for those folks on how, how did they used to do this so I can do it right, or at least not do it wrong. Um, we just to be clear, seen, so you're talking about the people at corporations that are coming in, filling in roles that were there for some someone yeah. before and splash is sort of a, a you know a vendor that's in place and then you see those sort of new names come in and take over and work with you right that that's exactly right yeah and we're, we're teaching them how to use splash for in-person events they've been using it for virtual events for two years so it's a, a lot that's of, a fun a lot kind of, of learning. unpivot or, or you know some kind of transition right but what about your sort of your new customers or you know how are you kind of looking for growth in, in that area yeah so we um We've never really seen a lot of event planner titles as part of our customer base. We tended to see the event marketers. Um, previously, that was the title we'd see the most or um, recruiting managers. We do a lot of recruiting events as well. Um, but during the pandemic we and, and continuing past the pandemic, I guess if we're still in or no one's really sure if we're in or out of the pandemic at this point, we're going to throw our hands up. <laughs> but continuing past it, we've seen uh, a whole new set of titles come through as part of the buyer set. And... It's digital marketers are now um, a key segment uh, in marketing operations folks. So we're seeing much more of that, uh, what I would expect to see with technology, much more of this being a technology buying decision for people who use technology and not so much about the event itself. It's about how do I enable my teams to do these things? So I'm buying the software to empower them. Where in the past, the event marketer was thinking more a single use case. I need to use the software to get my job done. Companies are seeing it a little bit more, a little more width behind that across the organization. So that, that's exciting for us. But we still have, we've never really focused on the planner roles in the past. They're always part of the use case, but usually not on the buying side of the software. Fascinating. So it's, it feels like you're deep in the event uh, planning and meeting management world, but your world is the marketers within that, and not so much the uh, the event planners and the managers. That's right. And one of the interesting things, when we ask our customers, what's their event stack look like? Uh, we're in there with companies that traditionally we might be thought of as competitors. We we coexist with a lot of the event technology out there because we, we focus on the marketing side where they might be focusing on the hospitality or the planning side. But, uh, Fascinating. It's a good place to be. Yeah, we don't, uh, we don't have to necessarily compete to win. <laughs> That's great. So um, I want to take a bit more kind of bigger picture. Um, you know, yeah. you're talking about being sort of more in, in the marketing world, but but at the same time in, in the meeting management, et cetera, um, kind of world. Are there things that in this world um, you would change if you could? Like, are there barriers that sort of come up over and over when you're having conversations that you would like to, to kind of change uh, as an industry? Well, I'd love to change just the word event. <laughs> It'll make things so much easier. <laughs> Um, I, you know, that's, that's a good question. I, I think the, one of the big changes, I'm actually maybe stepping back just a little bit. When I joined Splash, it was on a, on a, like an investor's thesis on, you know, looking at marketing technology over the last 20 years, 
marketing technology has come in and changed every part of the marketing, the B2B marketing stack um, through automation, through emails, through digital communications. And it always leads to better ROI focus. The one area where marketing tech hasn't really invested up to this point had been around event marketing. Uh, it was really common, still very common to see event marketers using WordPress to create a site and they're doing it by hand. They're you know, learning a little bit of HTML to create their WordPress sites. Yeah, and using guilty Google as charged. I've definitely been there before. So yeah. Yeah, right. That and, and everyone has. It's funny, the skills you have to learn to be an event marketer and a little bit of HTML. That's wild. <laughs> Um, you know, list importing and updating and, and doing analytics in a spreadsheet and using Google Forms for registration. That's it's kind of the, the state of the union a couple of years ago uh, for event marketing. And at the same time, for B2B companies, events are often one of the largest spend areas of their marketing budget, and they have the least amount of software involved. So my thesis joining the company was this is going to all change that this, this is going to be a, a huge digital transformation and all this spend is going to be managed much more with an ROI focus. And also you, you talk to a lot of folks in events and they'll tell you that the, the way that they measure their success is often registration and attendance numbers. And it's hard to distill real ROI out of events. And I think that's all changing thanks in part to the pandemic and thanks in part to new technologies coming out. And so when I think about things I would love to change in the industry, it would be, let's really talk about ROI. Let's really have a conversation around event ROI. And it can't be about how many people registered and attended. And it can't be about, did the sales team feel like they had good conversations or did we see stage one pipeline? It's gotta be ROI that flows all the way through the business so that you can actually make better decisions for the next event. And I, I think there's there are definitely some amazing practitioners doing that today. Um, and I see them in our customers and they're rigorous about it, but I would say the industry as a whole still hasn't gotten there and, and maybe still years away. And I would, if I could change anything, it would be, let's take all this money we're spending and make sure that it's driving real ROI and improving every time we do it. Yeah. Excellent perspective. I think it's, it is very valuable and, and yeah, very uh, unique. Um, any insight into why you think that hasn't been a priority or as much of a priority as it should be until now? Yeah, I, I think it comes back to the bespoke nature of a lot of events. It's, we created this, you know, you, you even look at Dreamforce year after year, Dreamforce every year is really different. There's some things that are common, but it's like it's reinvented every year. So it, the focus has been more on, okay, we did this thing. Uh, it was really big. How many people attended? Um, what kind of pipeline do we see coming out of it? And next year, we're going to do it all differently. So we don't really have benchmarks to compare to. And it's just moving to the next thing. I, I Event planners are the busiest people of any organization. And uh, if the systems aren't pre-wired and configured to, 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 to analyze this data, who's going to do it? And an event planner who's just running from event to event just doesn't have the capacity to do it. Uh, so I, I think we tend to take the, and I'm guilty of this for decades of working in events in my marketing teams of saying, well, that's good enough. Okay. We, we, we got, we don't have time. We got to go back to the next event. <laughs> and, and, you know, this is why I'm, I'm happy to see titles like marketing operations show up in our business pipeline, because those are the people that wire the systems to make sure there's accountability to numbers. They ask, what should the uh, the expected result be from this and then measure that expectation against reality. And then they demand improvements. And that's, that's exciting to me. And we're seeing a, a sea change in that. 
Yeah, it sounds to me that it's part of the solution or part of the issue is the interoperability of the different tools, which I think for a large part we've, we've solved. You know, you talked yeah. about all sorts of integrations, but a bigger part of the problem, it sounds to me, that is actually proving the worth, right? And then kind of getting mm -hmm. to the light, right boardroom level to kind of say, hey, we know what pipeline we've got out of this. We know what these things are, are are providing us, and therefore we need to invest in this and create kind of continuous conversations about these topics. That's exactly right. And then, and if you don't do that, you can't actually improve the results of the next event. And I think that's the other thing that comes out of re really good ROI tracking is you're starting to track some of the nuances within events that actually made a difference, which sessions or speakers or locations or menu items or other attendees or networking activities created the, the impact. And you know, ROI is just the very beginning of that conversation. I, th I think it's going to be, it should be a very disciplined um, uh, marketing function. And I, I think it's getting there. Some organizations are wildly disciplined and I, I love to have those conversations and others are just starting to, to build the roadmap to get there. Interesting. Well, Eric, thank you so much for, for all this conversation. I think it's been really fascinating. I, I talk about ROI a lot. Um, I, I have a feeling that a lot of people shy away from that conversation, a lot of people on the planning yeah. side, but, but it does sound like you're making a, a great case for it and not just for splash, but for any tool that can kind of get in there and help people decipher those things. I think it's, it's worth investing and in understanding the, the possibilities there. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited to see what this future looks like in this space. <laughs> Excellent. So I wanted to get your recommendation for, for someone else to have on the podcast. Uh, I think we would like to keep the loop going of, of great guests. And then thank you for being on. So I'd love to hear who you have in mind or, or, or any ideas you have. Yeah, definitely. Uh, actually, back to the ROI um, sentiment, I, I would love to see, uh, I don't have a specific name and we can we can try to drum up some specific names, but some of the folks who made investments during the pandemic in the event tech space and post-pandemic, how they're looking at the world, and um, you know what was their thesis going into that? What's their revised thesis now in this new market? I'd love to hear uh, how they're approaching it. Fascinating, yeah. I, I think we we, um, we we do a lot of work on on that investment side, and I know that you you your ma mainly your investments came before the pandemic. So it'd be interesting to to get maybe a perspective yeah. of a couple of different investors. Maybe we can have more than one person on the podcast. There we go. We could do a and panel. <laughs> Exactly. A panel podcast of investors. Great idea. I think we'd, we'd love to have uh, some investors yeah. on, so we'll try to make that happen. Eric, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, keep in touch. Look forward to hearing more about what, what Splash is doing in the future. You bet. Thanks, Miguel. I really enjoyed the conversation. 